I don't follow soccer much, or what you would call it football if you're from the rest of the world. And, but I don't follow soccer much, and I don't know if you are. But earlier this year, you may recall that the U.S. women's national soccer team in the in the women's World Cup in France, and the U.S. team, they dominated the entire tournament. Uh, they played seven games, and they won all seven games, including the final. And they scored 26 goals, and they only gave up three. So it was a remarkable run for the women's national soccer team. But the reason I'm mentioning this is not because, again, I'm not a big fan of soccer, but there is a soccer player, and by virtue of her skills, she should have been in the national team and in the World Cup. But she was not. And her name is Jamie Brown, Jamie Hinkle, who currently, and we have a picture of her here, who currently plays for North Carolina Courage. Now she is a remarkable player, a defender, and she actually began playing for the U.S. national team beginning in 2015. But something changed in June 2017. As many of you know, uh, our culture designated the month of June as the Prime Month. And in order to honor it, the Women's National Team Soccer Team decided to wear a special jersey and play a few international friendly matches wearing a special jersey with a rainbow number in the back of the jersey. So Jalen Hinkle, she's a professed Christian. And she saw a conflict of interest between the team's decision to wear this jersey and her professed conviction as a Christian. So Jalen, she spent three days praying what she should do about this. She knew that if she didn't wear the jersey to support this thing, she could be cut from the team. And she knew that she would face criticism and ridicule from the fans and the community. And her refusal to wear the jersey may mean that she may never play for the national team again. But after three days of prayer, she made the decision, and her decision was not to play for the national team. Or wear that jersey. And fast forward, she never made it to the final roster of the World Cup. And even though the coach said it was for soccer reasons that she didn't make it to the final roster, but the coach and I think the team members and the media and the people around her knew very well the real reason why she didn't make it to the team. And this is what Jaylene wrote and said later on. I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. It's not a fictional book. It's not a pick and choose what you want to believe. I'm essentially giving up one dream little girls dream about their entire life, and I'm saying no to it. I think this is where the peace trumps the disappointment. I knew in my spirit I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. When she was asked in an interview if she would be okay not ever playing for the national team, this is what she said. That's just part of his plan, and that's okay. Maybe this is why you were meant to play soccer, to show believers to be obedient. I don't know what you think about this story. You know, maybe you think, oh, I can admire her convictions and her courage, but couldn't she just wear the jersey and maybe 
confess to God later on about what she did. Because opportunities like this to play for the national team, which is a big honor, and to play in the World Cup, which only comes around every four years, and it's something every professional player dreams about. So couldn't she just make a few compromises along the way? Maybe you think she was heroic and brave in what she did. I don't know what you think about this story. But one thing is clear. Jaylee knew that her allegiance was to Christ and to Him alone. Following Jesus was more important than anything, more important than her ambitions, her professional career, playing for the national team or a World Cup trophy. Jaylee wanted to be obedient to Jesus Christ and respond affirmatively to Jesus' call. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. So in our next few moments together, uh, since we're in a series, service series, Like the Christ, we'll talk about what it means to be like the Christ. But in order to be like the Christ, in order to be like Christ, we need to first listen to what Jesus has to say about following him and becoming his disciples. Because in order to be like Christ, we all must become disciples of Christ. So let's read our passage this morning. It's in uh, Matthew 16, so you can grab your pew Bibles, or we'll have the verses on the screen as well. So Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. Again, that's Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. From that time on, by that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So we see in our passage today two related events, and probably two sequential events. First, Jesus talks plainly about his mission. That his mission, when he came to earth, is to die, to suffer, and to rise again. And we see Peter rebuking Jesus, and Jesus rebuking Peter in return. And following this, Jesus tells his disciples about what it means to follow him, and what it takes to become his disciples. Well, when we look at, take a step back and look at the larger context of Matthew chapter 16, this chapter we're on, we see that before our passage, just before our passage, Jesus, before he talks about openly about his mission, 
who had this well-known story of Peter and his confession of who Jesus is. Well, you may remember the story of Jesus. He asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And some say that I am John the Baptist, and some people say I'm Elijah. Who do you say I am? And Peter, who is always very outspoken and brave, he answers this question, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And once the disciples see Jesus' identity clearly, Jesus from this time on begins to talk openly and publicly about his mission and his purpose as the Messiah. This is very interesting because in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus seems to be not very open about his identity. So whenever people see Jesus and recognize him and says, here is the Son of the living God, Jesus seems to want to silence people and be, be quiet. Don't tell anybody about this. But from this time on, after this declaration of once the disciples saw exactly who Jesus was, from this moment on, Jesus is very open about why he came. And we read in our passage that starting in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he raised again. This is Jesus' mission. Jesus would be the suffering servant. He would be the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And when Jesus said this, uh, the disciples probably thought this wasn't a good idea. And especially Peter. So this is what Peter did. He took Jesus, and our passage tells us, he took Jesus aside, and he says, Jesus, we need to talk. Jesus. And he began to rebuke Jesus. It's not like Peter was trying to ask a couple clarified questions. Jesus, did you really mean that? Or maybe trying to persuade Jesus how this is not a good idea. But for, G for, for Peter, this idea about the Messiah who's going to suffer and die was just a ridiculous and nonsensical foolishness. So Peter rebukes Jesus, far be from you, Lord. May this never be, may this never happen to you. And we know from the Jewish expectations in the first century about the Messiah, that Jewish people wanted some kind of Davidic king. They wanted some kind of military warrior who would restore the ancient glory of Israel. They wanted a king who would break them from the bondage of foreign oppression. Just as Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and broke, broke their chains free, they wanted a Messiah who would break them from the bondage of the Roman rule. They wanted a Messiah who would make Israel great again. And this notion of Messiah who was suffering by the cross was a stumbling block to Peter. And even to this day, as you're aware, to many Orthodox Jews, this idea of the suffering Son of God, that God, there is this Messiah who is hanging on a tree, cursed by God, it's a stumbling block and it's a foolish idea. And the wonder Paul says for the Jews, the gospel of the cross is foolishness and stumbling block. Peter, despite making this wonderful confession about the Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, just a few moments ago, we see the same Peter trying to withhold Jesus 
from fulfilling his earthly mission in life. Although Peter confessed and recognized Jesus as Lord, Peter wanted his human thoughts to dictate how Jesus was going to fulfill his mission. But perhaps we shouldn't be too hard on Peter. Uh, after all, I think uh, many of us in this room, right, uh, despite claiming that Jesus is our Savior, despite claiming that Jesus, you're our Lord, and Lord means He's the master, he's in charge, and we're not. But even then, when we come across situations where we have to choose between our interests and following Christ, we insist that our ways are correct and we got it right. And we even rebuke Jesus. We tell him that he got it wrong and that Jesus must conform to our demands. And Jesus, he will not have it. Either Jesus, is going to be the Lord and you take the back seat or Jesus is not the Lord at all. You cannot be in the driver's seat and dictate where you go and do. Jesus simply did not offer that option to us. And I met quite a few people in my life who once identified themselves as Christians and who even were serious about their faith and who went on mission trips, who served in the church, but then for some reason, they're no longer walking with the Lord or barely hanging on to their faith. So this made me curious and wanted, and made me curious and wanted to find out what went wrong in their spiritual journey. And as I looked further, one of the dominant narratives came up, and I think it's this. So they were once serious about their faith, served the church, and something went wrong in their lives. Maybe they got some illness or sickness. There began to be some conflicts in their relationships. There were some financial crisis. And suddenly their lives became difficult. And they begin to say to themselves, I did this for Jesus. I went on mission trips. I served in the church. You know, I even wanted to become a missionary one day. But then see what happened to my life. God took my life away and made a mess out of it. Despite everything I've done for him. But when we start to analyze and look very closely at what this person is really saying, this person is really saying this God, Jesus, I did X, Y, and Z for you, and therefore my life should have been free from hardships, and Jesus, you should have provided the security and comfort and should have done things my way. But since you did not, and since, God, you did not hold up to the end of your bargain, I'm not going to hold up mine. They're saying, Jesus, if this is how you're going to train me, if this is what you're going to do with my life, forget you. But behind the stories, we see a person who is in charge of his or her life. We see a person who dictates his terms to Jesus and is really telling Jesus how things should be. And if Jesus thinks otherwise, like Peter, we are ready to rebuke Jesus. Far be from you, Lord. Far be from me. May it never be. This is not how things should ought to be. But Jesus, he rebukes Peter. And he rebukes us. And gives us a dose of reality. Jesus tells Peter in verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. 
Jesus tells Peter that you cannot use your human thoughts. Human wisdom, no matter how noble or wise it may appear to be, to dictate the divine mission of Jesus. The divine things, the things of God, that Jesus is a suffering servant, that he came to suffer and die and to rise again for the sins of the whole world. This is God's way. But Jesus, he goes a step further. And now Jesus shifts the attention from his own mission and he focuses on the implications of his mission for his followers and what it means to be his disciples. Starting in verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here are the terms of following Jesus. He says, if anyone will come after me, Jesus is inviting each one of us as individuals, young or old, children or adults, males and females. But there are some conditions. First, let him deny himself or herself. Second, take up his cross. And third, follow me. Jesus says very plainly, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. What does Jesus mean when he says we must deny ourselves? Between following Jesus and his call to be his disciples and us who are listening to the invitation, lies the self-centered ego and the prideful for a person who exists and puts himself or herself as the God of the universe. In every one of our hearts lies that old self with all the pride, passion, lust, greed, and love of the world, and that old self that insists that I am the center of this world, and that my will be done. Moreover, inside every one of us, we hold something to be very dear, and we cherish this. It can be money, or the security that money provides. It can be power, it could be a desire for fame or to be appreciated or admired. It could be a pursuit of happiness and earthly pleasure. Or it could be your desire to deeply control the things around you and people around you. Or it could be your love for your children, a spouse, mother or father, things and people who are good in themselves, but if our love for them becomes greater, and love for Jesus, they become an idol. When Jesus says you must deny yourself, that self could also be your own ideals, your own ambitions, your own agendas, your own ideas about how society should be, your own sense of justice, or it could even be your version, your own version of Christianity that's centered around you and not on Jesus. Jesus says, you must deny yourself. You must die in order to follow me. Our self-will, our love, our money and security, our own ideals must be given up and put at the cross of Jesus to follow him. Discipleship is not about becoming a nice, moral, or better religious person. But discipleship begins with death to self so we may live for God. And in case you think that perhaps I'm being too harsh, or let's perhaps look at other parallel passages in the Gospels where Jesus talks about picking up our cross 
and following him. Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that whoever loves father, mother, son, father is not worthy of me. I mean, I think this is a little extreme. But Jesus is saying that you cannot love anything and have anything at the center of your heart except me alone because I am the God who created you and I am the God who loves you completely and he desires to have your heart. You may recall the original men who came to Jesus and asked him what commandments he should keep to inherit eternal life. And apparently, this young man kept all the commandments. And he was really, he really did come to Jesus not to, to ask what he, to really know the answer, but to get a pat on the back. So Jesus, knowing, knowing this, he asked a very direct, poignant and personal question to his very being. He says, if you want to follow me, sell all your goods and follow me. And because this young rich person had great wealth, this made him very sorrowful, and he walked away from Jesus, and he failed to become a disciple. Because his great wealth, his idol, lied between Jesus and having, following Jesus and having his own way. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, I'm also asking you this morning a very direct and personal question. Is there something or someone in your life you hold more dear than Jesus? If Jesus were to ask you to give up what you currently cherish or love, will you obey him? Will you be like Abraham who decided to obey and offer Isaac on the altar? even though it makes no sense if we look at it from any other angle? Or are we going to be like the rich young men who walk away from Jesus? God, He knows the condition of our hearts. And my prayer is that we will say no to ourselves and yes to Christ. Not because of some heroism or some courage we have, but because, like Bonhoeffer would say, the cost of discipleship that it is Jesus himself, the risen Messiah, our loving God, who is graciously inviting us to a lifetime of discipleship. Second, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross. So what is the cross? You know, cross is the most visible symbol of our Christian faith, right? And I think a, a lot of times, we, I think we tend to think of cross as some kind of a physical illness, or some disease, or, or even general suffering in life. But, but it's not. And, but don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about our physical sicknesses or infirmities. Jesus deeply cares about our physical illnesses because we know from the Gospels that Jesus spent much of his earthly ministries healing the sick, sick, making the lingua, and opening the eyes of the blind. So Jesus deeply cares about your physical pain, and he, we are also praying with you in that regard. But that is not to say that we should quit the cross as our physical suffering. Paul called it a thorn in the flesh, but that's not the cross. In the Roman world, the cross is where the worst criminals, especially those who incited rebellion against Rome, Roman government, were nailed 
to die in a slow and painful death. The cross was a place where a criminal is displayed publicly for his treasonous crime. And by displaying this publicly, perhaps this would discourage other people and perhaps create a sense of fear and give them second thoughts about inciting a rebellion against the Roman government. But the cross is also where Jesus died. It's a place of tremendous suffering and pain, a place of rejection, where the Son of God was rejected by his own Father. It's a place of great shame. But the cross is also the logical working of Jesus' ministry. This is where Jesus' ministry was pointing all along. Jesus, he came to do the will of his Father, and that led Jesus to the cross. Following his father meant that Jesus would die as a suffering servant. So when Jesus invites us to pick up our cross and follow him, Jesus is saying that embrace suffering and hardship because you identify with me and my name in the gospel. The cross comes as a direct result of our faith and allegiance to him alone. Because now you follow me and are my disciples, the people will see you. And because you claim that only Jesus is Lord, the world will see that and they will hate you. And there will be an inevitable suffering and hardships because of your professed faith in Jesus. And Peter gets this right when he says that we free rejoice if we share in Christ's suffering. So the cross is Christ's suffering, and that Peter said in 1 Peter that we are to suffer as Christians according to God's will. So Peter, after all, he got it right, which shows us that there's hope for us after all. So what does a cross look like? Let me offer you some examples. When a Muslim professes his or her faith in Jesus, and is now disowned by her or his family, and faces social alienation or even possibly execution, that's the cross. When a Christian in North Korea is sent to the concentration camp because he refuses to deny Jesus and is suffering malnutrition, that's the cross. At school and work, when you stand for what's true and noble for Jesus and becomes unpopular, unliked, ridiculed, and you decide to endure instead of fight back because you follow Jesus and his footsteps as a cross. When you skip over the next promotion or even fire from work because you, you refuse to give in to the demands of the world because that will mean being unfaithful to Jesus as a cross. When Jay Lee got cut from the soccer team because she would rather be obedient to Jesus and fulfill her childhood dream. Instead of a World Cup trophy, she faced criticism, pulling from the fence because of her allegiance to Jesus. That's a cross. But I don't think we need to look for a cross ourselves as if it's our responsibility to come up with some suffering in our life. This is not the case. As we faithfully follow Jesus, He will show us what our cross will be. In a you know, parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, Luke says this, Take up your cross daily and follow me. So in the Gospel of Luke, the word daily is added. And taking up the cross and embracing suffering and hardship is not a one-time event. 
It's something we do daily. You know, tomorrow, uh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, and I'm going to hear this voice in my head. And you might hear it too. I'm going to hear this voice, and it's going to say something like this. Uh, yesterday, you preached a sermon on following the cross, following Jesus. But today is a new day. It's Monday. It's a new week. Just relax. You don't need to encourage suffering for Jesus' sake. You live in America, where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are self-evident truth. Just entertain yourself. Just relax, buddy. And I might be tempted to give in to this voice and this larger narrative that our culture has so embedded in our minds. That's why tomorrow morning I have to wake up and say, Jesus, by your grace and by your mercy, I'm going to pick up this cross and follow you. Not because I'm some great person, but because it is Jesus, you, who's calling me to a life of discipleship. In order for us to live, truly live, we must die to ourselves daily. And this is why the Apostle Paul said, I die to myself daily. Because in order for the resurrected power of Christ to live through him, the old self has to die. One last point and we'll conclude our sermon. Jesus says, starting in verse 23, Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his himself? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know what Jesus is saying here? The most important thing in life is you. It's your soul. It's your destiny, your eternal destiny in light of God. We may live this life 70, 80, 90 plus years in security and comfort, but if your soul is not right with God, he's saying you have gained absolutely nothing. And Kierkegaard, who was a famous uh, Danish theologian, he, he summarizes so well. He says this, the greatest hazard of all, he's saying the greatest danger of all, losing oneself, can occur very quietly in the world as if it were nothing at all. No other loss can occur so quietly. Any other loss, an arm, a leg, five dollars, a wife, is sure to be noticed. When we lose earthly goods, we immediately notice and we grieve over it. We even lose sleep over it. But for some reason, when we have lost the most important thing, your soul, your eternal destiny with God. And when you're losing it because you're living in sin and refuse to obey Him, and we're a step closer to the nation, we're saying, oh, it's not a big deal. But on the positive side, Jesus is saying this, by following me, by following me and becoming my disciple, I'm giving you that real life, that real abundant life, a life that is truly in Him, and a life that's also truly yours, because you're in Him, and your soul will be well. Sometimes, I think when we hear this passage about denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following Him, we feel so burdened, as if we have to somehow summon our own strength to carry this cross. And we might feel so reluctantly 
and hesitant about picking up his cross, thinking that what else am I going to lose in this world by doing that? If you understand this passage this way, you are still probably the Lord of your own life. But to those whose eyes have been opened to see God in his glory, they will see Jesus' invitation to deny yourself, not as a burden, but as a gracious, loving call to find true, eternal life in him. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, O who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If Jesus is the one giving us the yoke, if Jesus is the one giving us his cross, we can bear it with joy because he will give us the necessary strength to do what he commanded us to do. And we'll find rest for our soul. We'll find true rest because it will be the end of our selfish lives and the beginning of a new and abundant life in Jesus. This is a message of hope. This is the life of discipleship. Jesus is saying to you this morning, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Do you hear it? It is Jesus who is calling you. The Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you is calling you to a life of discipleship. And when we see that it is Jesus who is calling us, and it's his gracious invitation to share in his suffering and his life. We can immediately respond in faith with joy because he promises us eternal life. And we'll see it as the greatest privilege to be his disciples. So will you respond to Jesus' invitation, come to me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Let's pray.